Farm Talk on C103 with Dairy Gold Prime Elite Roomy Force Calf Cube. Maximize calf performance and health at grass by optimizing the function of the rumen. Farm Talk on C103 with Dairy Gold Prime Elite Calf Milk Replacer. Welcome to the Dairy Gold Farm Talk programme with John O'Connor. Later, Senator Tim Lombard on the recent Shannon debate on the sheep price crisis. Chagask Crop Advisor Michael J. McCarthy, Sandfield Mallow Office on the Crops Overview. Clara Heron, editor, Irish Country Magazine, has details of a €20,000 competition. Dairy Gold announced their March milk price. But first... Mr. Liam Leahy, Dairy Gold Agribusiness Beef and Tillage Manager, looks at the crop situation and comments on the current state of crops in the field. Thanks for inviting me on, John. Yep. Uh, I suppose we've had a bit of a mixed bag, really. You know? um, we've had a real difficult winter, a bit of a bugger of a winter, to be honest about it, but a real difficult winter. Tipperary fared very well, which would be their, the area with the bigger uh, part of the country with the bigger area, Winter Valley, for us. And, they had planted fairly well, and they wintered quite well. Um, but the further south we went, particularly down into South Cork, East Cork, the Kinsale area, right all the way across, you could say, to Yall, that got particularly badly affected. And some of the crops that came out of that, that have come out of that winter period, have been a bit shook up, to be honest about winter, winter barley in particular. Now there's a, a massively reduced area of winter barley down there because of the problems they experienced last year with the virus and uh, take-all issues. But then the weather came in on top of them. Lads had delayed planting uh, intentionally to try and reduce their exposure to aphids. Then the weather came in on top of them. Some of them abandoned the winter barley altogether. Others persevered and got it somewhat into, I'd say, poor enough seedbeds and those crops came out of the winter poor enough to be honest about it, John. But look, that's farming. They have, since the spring came now, they've fed them, put on some fertilizer, given plenty of nutrients, they fed them. They've made, they've made a reasonable crop out of them, but look, you'll never make a real crop out of them. But they, they'll, they'll come through and doing anything else with them wasn't, doing anything else with them wasn't an option, so they, they look after them. But look, in general, the winter barley has fared, I would say, below average. Winter wheat has shown us real story. Winter wheat came out of the winter quite well. It's a tough crop. You can take the weather, and I think it's sure it's metal this year. Uh, winter wheat has progressed very nicely and is growing on very strongly now. The other crop of no tree that we had this year, uh, and quite a bit of it, there was a significant increase in it, both locally and nationally, was seed rape. Now, that crop has come out of the winter, I'll use the word blooming, and it's starting to go into its beautiful colours now at the moment. And it's full of promise. It's a tough crop. Some got heavily grazed across the winter, but it bounced back over once it got fed in the spring. So look, winter barley has been the more difficult crop. The rest of my, I think, have come across quite well, John. Now, Liam, if you had to comment on disease as regards the disease elements in the crop, has it been noteworthy for having any kind of noticeable disease presence uh, in Cork like Septoria? Would that have been a problem here? Well, John, you're after mentioning already. You didn't have to ask me the question. You knew the answer. The one crop that's going to be, I, I fear, a high risk this year is, is wheat with Septoria. And 
we have a significant area of wheat in the ground. And I think in different study years, it's a crop that will take real professional care this year. Um, it's a question of getting the spray timings right. There are quite high levels of septoria visible on most winter wheat crops at this stage. And it is active septoria, it is on the move. And some people may decide to stand back and wait for a timely T1. And that's a decision that people are well able to make themselves. Not so sure is that the right thing to do now. I pers- personally would prefer to see crops getting a T0 now. That doesn't mean a fungicide. I'm talking about a multi-site application to just buy ourselves 10 or 15 days until leaf tree completely develops and then go with your proper T1 spray. I, I think there's too much disease on winter wheat at the moment to be gambling, staying out of it for another 10 or 12 days. You're always at the risk of a weather event in 10 days' time, and that could make 10 days, 15 days very quickly. Winter wheat is the one, I suppose, that's always a primary concern, as it's very difficult to control septoria, unless you're in a very proactive way. Winter barley also carried quite a bit of disease through the winter, but that has cleaned up very well. The leads have got untimely sprays on it. They've all been cleaned up now, and... I think once you get winter barley clean at the start of the year, it's easily enough easily enough managed for the rest of the year in a very proactive way. But uh, I wouldn't have any concerns about winter barley at this stage. No. In general, the prices, bearing in mind all the different circumstances, I know you always pay the absolute uh, optimum, most uh, optimistic price. I suppose what you're looking at at the moment, John, is the futures market. Uh, I mean, last year's harvest is well done and dusted at this stage. And I suppose, well, we did pay a very good price. We're probably paying a bit of a penalty for it now, but that's the, that's the market and the, the trade that we live in. But looking into the future, uh, my God, what a difference 12 months makes. Look, it's all for different reasons, all for political reasons, I suppose, the majority of it is in any case. But the present price, future prices for wheat and barley are probably 40 to 50 quid below where they were this time last year. Um there was a momentary increase in them there earlier on in the week, simply driven by a political a political statement in uh, in Eastern Europe that the borders were being closed to Ukrainian grain coming into Europe. And also there is a belief that the, the Black Sea corridor may be clo- about to close. And automatically that drove the trading houses into a buying mode and drove up the market 10 or 15 euros a ton in the space of 24 hours. That's how volatile this market is. Now in the last 24, 48 hours, that has retreated somewhat again uh, to a, a more sobering look. They're only, they're only market price at the moment, barely 210 to 215 wheat, 10 euros above it. Could that change? Oh my God, that could change very, very quickly overnight, both up and down. So it's not all negative. I think there's a huge amount of uncertainty in the market. Just where will the price be next harvest? Haven't a clue, John. It's, it's so, so difficult to, to predict that. And I, like we're in the business. Those prices, they're really at the bottom of the barrel for a tillage. He's really barely at break even at those prices.
Looking at the situation with Ukraine, Poland, a very close friend of the battling Ukrainians, but Poland, Hungary, Slovakia and possibly Romania all banning importation of Ukrainian grain and they say they'll review the situation on the 29th of June. So obviously there in the background we have the supply of Ukrainian grain looking for a home and that's another factor. But bearing all that in mind, you've made the comment you have and you are of course qualifying that very heavily by saying 24 hours, 48 hours can make a huge difference in the volatile situation and whether the Russians back out of whatever has been agreed with the Ukrainians. Looking at the crops here and speaking to dairy gold suppliers, people who sell their grain to you, what should uh, listeners be looking out for who are grain growers? When a, a tillage farmer, John, puts a seed into the soil, he's pretty well committed himself to bringing that to a crop it's not a question that you can tailor inputs or reduce or increase them to any large degree because by doing so, you're going to affect the output of the crop. So like I said, once you plant the seed, you're pretty committed to bringing it to a crop. And most growers, being who they are, and and their, their whole focus is to maximize yield to the best of their ability. But I suppose if there's a few things maybe that they could look out for, Maybe slipping by us now was the cropping decisions that they made. And look, maybe it's, we're probably a couple of weeks late, maybe talking about that, but there were cropping choices I felt available to growers that would be more secure, reducing exposure and risk. I'm particularly talking about beans. They were a crop that a lot of growers embraced this year, which I think was a very, very shrewd thing to do because they are relatively low inputs. They're guaranteed price by dairy gold at 285, which I think was a will prove to be a very rewarding price. And then they're also getting support from a protein payment from the, our own Department of Agriculture, which will probably end up at something 450, 450 euros a hectare. And all that's taken the risk out of that particular crop. With relation to the other crops, the barleys and the wheats, a certain amount of the barleys are malting contracted, so that the price will be set at harvest time. There are opportunities by some companies to tie into various prices uh, during the spring months, and there are choices that growers will have to make. But I suppose the one thing I would say is growers to keep an eye on the future markets. There may be occasions come when it makes sense to future sell some of their harvest. Now, that's a decision for every farmer individually because they all have... Costs can vary on farm, depending on whether you're on rented land, depending on whether you're on value-added crops. But they're all individual decisions. They are tough decisions to make. Once you make them, you drive on. You don't look back. But I think that's about the only thing in the short term that they can do. The one good thing I'd say, let's not all be negative about this. The one good thing is that the price of fertilizer is starting to fall now fairly dramatically. And while it's late for the base compounds, some of the nitrogen that has yet to be purchased, let that be in urea, let it be in liquid form. We service all commodities, but they are all coming down now significantly. So there will be some bit of value got in that market. And I suppose fertilizers and grains, in many respects, they're connected at the hip. And if the price of grain is going to 
come down and stay down where it is at the moment, I think it's safe to assume that the price of fertilizers will follow quite quickly. But there is a period in between, maybe of six or eight months, while this readjusting is happening, and that's where the hurt is going to be felt. And I think we could be in there at the moment. Now, I'm not saying I'm an, op- I'm an optimist out and out, but I think we might be in the eye of the storm just at the moment. And I think it's a question of trying to weather it. I don't think there's dramatic things that you can do at farm level. But thank you very much indeed, Mr. Liam Leahy, Dairy Gold Agribusiness, Beef and Tillage Business Manager. Liam, thank you very much indeed. Thanks a million. Uh, thanks for having me, John. You're very welcome. Dairy Gold confirms the March milk price. Dairy Gold has reduced the March quoted milk price by 4.0 cents per litre to 42.0 cents per litre based on standard constituents of 3.3% protein and 3.6% butterfat, inclusive of sustainability and quality bonuses and VAT. In addition, the March early calving bonus of 1.05 cents per litre, including VAT, will be paid on milk supplied in March in accordance with milk quality criteria. Therefore, milk supplied in March that qualifies for the early calving bonus will have a quoted milk price of 43.05 cents per litre. The March milk price equates to an average March farm gate milk price of 47.0 cents per litre based on average March milk solids achieved by Dairy Gold milk suppliers. The quoted milk price for March, based on EU standard constituents of 3.4% protein and 4.2% butterfat, is 45.8 cents per litre. A company spokesperson commented that there had been significant pressure on milk price from continued weakness in the market over the last number of weeks, and this has resulted in reduced returns for dairy commodities. While we, Dairy Gold, remain hopeful that dairy markets will stabilise in the medium term, milk returns remain under pressure in the short term. The Dairy Gold Board will continue to monitor markets closely and review milk price on a month-by-month basis. That statement is dated 18th of April, confirming the Dairy Gold March milk price. Joining us on the Dairy Gold Farm Talk programme, Mr. Michael J. McCarthy, Chagas Crops Advisor with the Chagas Sandfield Mallow Office. First of all, Michael, welcome to the programme. Before we look at some aspects of crops, have you any forthcoming meetings, any forthcoming events which our listeners would find of interest? Yeah, so just to start, John, um, just so people will be aware, we have um, our crops walk, a spring crop walk, in our usual spot in Ballyderon, the, the, the Department of Agriculture Variety Testing Facility. It's on the 3rd of May at 11 o'clock in the morning, uh, and everyone is welcome to attend. We will also have a crop walk at a later date in the Bandon area, in the Bandon Grammar School, on the farm of Calvert and Keith Smith, by their kind permission. But that date is yet to be announced. Uh, but the one we know for sure is the one in Fermi on the 3rd of May at 11 o'clock in the morning. We turn now to our general conversation, a general overview of spring crops, progress to date, management of earlier sown crops, beet and maize. So an overview. I know the weather probably has been a very, very severe factor in um, you know, pestering the crops. 
Yeah, so, you know, it, it started, I suppose, we started spring on a, on a smashing note. You know, we had a fantastic February and there was loads of work done and there was crops planted in super conditions altogether. And then March came and it just turned around altogether and we've been looking at fairly bad conditions since and it's gone quite late now. But I suppose, look, um, you know, there's a lot of work to be done out there and, you know, the, 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 we have a bit of a weather period now that maybe things can get done. So I suppose I, maybe I'll start on with the crops that need to be sown now at the moment. And look, it's the, it's the 20th of April. We're, we're past that ideal time that we'd like to have crops in, you know, look for spring barley and spring wheat. We're always trying to have them in for the end of March. We're well past that now. So look, we are late. Look, I suppose as regards crop choice, you know, it's gone very late now for seeds of spring wheat or, or spring oats. Um, I think at this stage, you know, spring barley is really the only show in town that will give a return. We know that when you move into April with, with crops of spring wheat, you know, they don't yield number one. And secondly, they go late into September for harvesting. So I suppose, look, it's, it's, it's spring barley from now on. For anyone, you know, think you're planting in the next couple of days or have a lot of work to do, look, most tennis farms out there, there's a lot of work to be done. I suppose, you know, the big thing when you're moving later into April with spring spring barley is that we would increase the seeding rate because, you know, spring barley just doesn't have the capacity to till or now that it would do if it was planted in earlier March. So we need to increase the seeding rate just to make sure we have enough plants in the ground to give us a, a decent crop. Um, you know, years like this, it's easy to maybe think to try and take a shortcut or something and people might consider that, oh, you know, we'll just get the crop into the ground and this, that, the other. But look, it's no different um, if there are jobs to do, like lime needs to be spread and, and P&K fertilizer needs to be put out, you know. Those jobs are very, very important because, look, spring barley is, is a very sensitive crop. We only want to be planting it once. Um it's a year where we need to get the best return possible for our grain because, look, costs are high. Grain price is under pressure. So, look, I, I wouldn't be taking any shortcuts. Do the jobs that need to be done. Attend to the soil fertility. It's, it's paramount importance when it comes to setting crops. You know, we're, we're trying to target our, our, our soil fertility to, to index three for P&K. And, and there's no getting around that. So that means that, you know, if you're in a situation that you need to apply compound fertilizer, which the vast majority of people will need to apply compound fertilizer, you know, we, we need to get it as close to the seed as possible. So that means applying it before sowing and tilling it in as you're sowing. If you apply P&K after, especially when the crop is up, you know, there's, there's a very limited chance that especially that phosphorus that you're applying is actually going to get to the roots of the plant your plants may become deficient then in phosphorus and that's not what we're looking for because it's going to cause a setback then and it's going to cause a setback in yield. Um, the other thing I, I would just like to mention, John, and it's just for people to be mindful of, you know, there's a lot of pressure on people now to get work done. There's an awful lot of work needs to be done in a very tight window. Um, just, just for people to take care and just keep the farm safety at the forefront of, of everybody's mind because it's times like this when everybody's under pressure 
and you know stress levels are high that accidents can happen so I, I just would like to tell, you know, tell people that you know maybe just slow down a small bit the work will get done you know be organised but, but don't take any unnecessary risks um, if, if we just move on from there Dan I suppose look it, it's definitely a tale of two seasons this year like we have spring barley crops that will be going into the ground to be sown the next couple of days but like we have spring barley that was planted in late February and early March and that it, it's well up and established now and I suppose there's a number of things to discuss here um, at the time it was fantastic you know it was brilliant to get such uh, crops sown early but nobody envisaged the, the march that would come after I think we've had the wettest march on record in a long time you know, up to 220 mils of rain in places. Um, and that has taken its toll. So, look, there, there are crops out there that are struggling, uh, especially, I suppose, you know, crops in low-lying areas that might have been subject to flooding or where the seeds would be a bit on the clayer side if they're not as free-draining. Generally, the spring barley sown and, and free-draining soil or spring wheat or oats, for that matter, is going away fine. Look, the plant counts aren't as nice as we like, but they're okay and we'll manage them throughout the season. But there are crops that might be in trouble, I suppose. I would always consider this a last resort to take out a crop and to resource because when you do the figures on paper, it never tends to add up. You're, you're nearly better off taking the, the lesser crop and following it through to harvest. But I suppose, look, it, it starts with going out and making an assessment of, of what's there. And look, if you, if you have a reasonably even stand to plant, even though they might be thin, I think we'd best to keep on to those crops. Like I said, last resort to go replanting. For crops then that are quite good and you know they're at probably that three three to four leaf stage now, maybe some of them are a bit beyond this early tillering. It's actually time to start thinking of managing those crops now and you know the first uh, job in question there is, is nitrogen. Those crops will need their top dressing um uh, as soon as possible, really. Um, you know, like mostly people would aim to top dress with that kind of maybe 60 or 70 units of nitrogen. So, like, I recommend to, to, to get out as soon as you can um, and get in and get the fertilizer out because, look, at this stage, the growing crop is better off in the, in, in, on the ground, waiting for the crop to take it in than it is inside in the bag. And it also. Um, that time for spring weeds is, is after coming now again. So whilst you might be planting a field of spring barley in one field, you may have a field of spring barley in another field that needs to be sprayed for weeds. Um, and again, look, go out and assess the crop. Look at the weeds you have. There's plenty of different chemical choice out there. But I suppose it could be critical enough to get those weeds sprayed now because as we know, you know, small weeds become big weeds very fast and big weeds are hard to kill. So, you know, the sooner that job is done, the better. I suppose, look, on to the bit on the beaten maize will be upcoming first, or upcoming, not first, but next, I suppose. Um, people will get the cereals done first. I suppose a couple of things I just want to mention that people are aware of, um, whether it's being a sugar beet variety or a fodder beet variety, just for farmers that are aware, you know, last year was the first year that we were sowing beef with any, without any neonicotinoid uh, seed dressing on it. Now, the neonicotinoid is an insecticide, and it provided cover against, you know, like the mangrove fly early in the season. Now, that's not available this year. 
So it's something just to be aware of and keep an eye on the crop and just to have it in the back of your head that you probably will be including an insecticide in the first weed spray with beet crops. The other thing there too for, for beet and maize combined, just so people are aware, the buffer zones that are required this year as part of the nitrate directive, very important that those buffer zones are adhered to. Um, so for any stream or water course, and what I say to people when we're trying to determine, you know, what is a water course, obviously a stream is very easy to determine what a stream is. But like people say to me that, you know, I have a drain in a field and, it's, you know, there's water in some parts of the year and it's dry for more parts of the year. Generally what I say to people is, look, cross-compliance inspections happen in the back end of the year. They tend to happen in the months of October, November and December. If, if, if the drain holds water at that time of year, there's a mandatory three-metre buffer zone required. And that's a non-negotiable three-metre uncultivated buffer zone. So it can't be ploughed, it can't be cultivated or sown or anything. You must keep back three metres. So to further complicate things then, if you're sowing a late harvested crop, and this is where the beef and maize come in, so, so anything harvested you know, late in September, I think the date is like the 20th of September onwards, uh, like your beet and your maize or potatoes for that matter, if your field slopes to a watercourse, so if there's an obvious slope down to the watercourse and you know that there's going to be overflow into this watercourse, you have to increase that to a six-metre mandatory uncultivated buffer zone. So just be aware of the distinction. The six-metre buffer zone is for late harvested crops only, primarily beet, maize, potatoes, and it's only in the case that the, the, the land slopes down to the watercourse. If it is a flat field, then it is the mandatory three-metre buffer zone. But if it's sloping, it is six. Uh, one other thing to mention there on maize, just so people are aware, the, the, the new plastics directive um, that came in last year has prohibited what we would traditionally know as what they call oxy-degradable plastic. It's the traditional plastic that was used on maize. So we're in the use of phase, but I, there, there is not a lot of that old oxy-degradable plastic left. And what we're down to now is this new form of what they call biodegradable plastic. Now, biodegradable plastic does break down quicker than the older plastic, but it just is that bit more expensive. So... Um, it's only in use up. You can use up what stocks you have of the old oxy-degradable plastic. And from now on, farmers should be using what they call biodegradable plastic. It is more expensive, so just plan for that. If you're sowing a crop of maize, then without plastic, look, the old rules of maize apply. You know, you're trying to avoid those elevated, exposed fields because, you know, we don't want those new emerging seedlings from maize getting... Um, getting too windswept or, or anything like that. That's kind of it on the spring crops, John. That's wonderful. Thank you very much indeed, Mr. Michael McCarthy, Crops Advisor, Chagas Sandfield Mallow. Thank you very much indeed, Michael. Thanks a million. Thank you. You're very welcome. Farm Talk on C103 with Dairy Gold Prime Elite Calf Milk Replacer. 
In recent days, the worsening sheep crisis was discussed in Shannon Aaron. With more on the background to the discussions, which were very thorough, Senator Tim Lombard Finnegale. Tim, I understand this was a very well attended discussion with the farming organisations and the Minister of Agriculture. So, an overview on Wednesday's uh, discussions in Shannon Aaron. Yeah, look, we had a very significant debate in the Shannon on Wednesday regarding the actual sheep industry where we're going long-term with the with the whole issue about the price. Um, it was a really significant debate. Family organisations came in around the gallery just to make sure that we had a really comprehensive debate into where this industry is going at the moment. The Minister gave an outline of the long-term solutions, such as trying to make sure we've opened markets internationally in particular. We only consume 15% of our um, sheep meat here in Ireland. The others export it, so internationally it's really important. But the current crisis is really um, about the next few weeks and the next few months. We've had really low prices. We've had huge input costs. And because of the input costs, um, unfortunately, the sheep industry is under exceptional pressure. And I mean exceptional pressure. One of the figures we came across in the last few weeks was that they're saying that they're going to make roughly over seven euros a year um, profit, which is quite bizarre when you think that the majority of our sheep farmers are under 100 euros. So that will give the indication of how unprofitable the actual industry is at the moment. What we were asking the minister to do was to look at what we what happened with the pig industry previously, or even with the stocking herd before, regarding putting a package in place to help the industry survive. Um, we need to make sure this industry, which is probably one of our oldest industries in many ways, has the potential to actually move forward and actually gain traction, in particular international markets. But that can only happen if we actually get over the, the high input cost there to, at the moment. And unfortunately, up to the last few weeks, the very, very low price has been paid at the factory. But I know it's something for the future, the longer term future, but sheep wool, there has been, at official level, a recognition now of sheep wool, the potential sheep wool offers uh, to add something to the sheep sector and indeed calls for the setting up of uh, some kind of a cleansing plant or scouring plant where Irish wool could be cleaned up and, at presentation point, be a far better quality than has been the case up to now. Yes, I think like that's the second issue. The actual wool issue has the wool market actually collapsed. It's really it's very very hard to see any movement in that market at the moment. I know the wool council has just movements regarding that issue, and there's been major talks about trying to, you know, have a real campaign about what we can do with our actual wool itself. Um, traditionally, that is when we went to Bradford. That's now all changed over the last few years. So we need to find a market and find a system in place to protect our actual indigenous. Um, sheep industry to make sure they have an output and some place to go for their actual wool itself. It's a really significant issue. Like the wool side of this argument needs to be addressed. There has been movement to some degree with the wool council, but more needs to be done in a very, very short space of time. Because at the moment, unfortunately, the wool is literally worthless, unfortunately. Some time ago there, we heard about uh, the concept of sheep milk, milking uh, mm. sheep to produce uh, high-quality cheese or specialist products. But that's another thing which perhaps uh, could be developed. Yeah, and look, we had a really interesting presentation brought before the Agricultural Committee on, this, um, on the 8th of March um, about the actual possibility of milking sheep. And there's a family up in Tipperary which has pioneered this project. And obviously the yield is quite low, 
but the actual protein and the fat are very high. Uh, there's a huge demand for cheese from sheep itself, um, so the byproduct will be used for cheese. It's really something that I think in particular uh, for B&E to work with, particularly the families that are pushing this project. It is a, a phenomenon that worked really well in other jurisdictions, and I think it's uh, something that just needs to be developed. And what actually happens with this proposal is that you leave the lambs with the sheep for the first 30 days, then you take the lambs away, and then you milk the sheep until the end of September. And the actual milk is processed. They're literally milked once a day, and you're looking at now that it goes into both yogurt and cheese itself. And there's a really high demand for a product coming from sheep milk. So it's definitely something we've discussed. Definitely we've had a really good presentation. For B&O need to come on board, and in particular the Minister needs to come on board with TAMS and other grants to make sure that we can promote, which really is something totally different, but promote the actual potential for an industry that will be milking sheep in Ireland. Indirectly connected with farming, of course, something very important, the vet and veterinary services. Now, I understand, Tim, for quite a long time, you have been trying to progress insofar as is possible. You've been trying to you know, work towards the establishment of additional veterinary education facilities and ideally for those facilities to be based in Cork to serve Munster and one of our main agricultural areas. So any progress with creating a second veterinary course or veterinary college? In the last few weeks, in the last few months, there's been a, uh, an expression of interest sent out by the Department of Higher Education looking for an expression of interest regarding um, a second or even a third veterinary school in Ireland. Unfortunately, at the moment, we're in a scenario that over 100 students go internationally every year. So we've over 600 students abroad at the moment studying veterinary. Um, at, we have one veterinary college at, at the moment in the state, which is UCD, and we just need to increase the actual amount of graduates going out of it. So what we've done here is we've had an expression of interest. There's been several colleges come back. UL have come back and they've made a really significant proposal. I met UL last week. UCC haven't looked for it on this occasion, but we're expecting an announcement and major movement on this in the first week of May when a memo is going to go to the Cabinet and it's hopefully going to give a timeline and a strategic plan about funding a second veterinary school in Ireland. And I personally believe it's very important that that second veterinary school is in Munster. Um, Munster has obviously a huge dairy, beef industry, poultry tied onto it in many ways, and also has the horse industry in particular over in Tipperary. It will be, in my opinion, a unique location that we need to look for um, the second veterinary school. I think Munster need, needs to have it. And I also think that when you look at the actual point system itself, having six, seven, six hundred points plus doesn't make logical sense. I think the actual point system, the course, needs to be um, a more practical course. And I'd be hoping that the entry level for the course should be less than 500 points. And I think that's where this actual course needs to go. But I'm expecting major movements and a major announcement on this literally in the next few weeks. So, Tim, thank you very much indeed. Senator Tim Lombard, Finnegale, thank you, Tim, very much for your valuable information there. Thank you very much indeed. Thank you, John. Writing in this week's Irish Farmers Journal, the Stratum Woods, beef and circular editor for the journal, points out that waning prices are up €200 Euro per head as the export trade heats up. 
Anna Woods goes on to point out that the top third of bull wainlings in the 300 kg to 400 kg bracket hit €3.55 per kg in the first three months of 23. And this is according to the Irish Farmers Journal, Mark Bids Data. Adam Wood says this was up 53 cents a kg on the same period last year, 22, and up 77 cents a kg on the 2021 price. Adam goes on to say that on a 380 kg wainling, that means prices have gone from 1,147 euro ahead in spring of 2022 to 1,349 euro per head in spring of this year, 23. That's an increase of 202 euro ahead in the last 12 months. While feedlot finishers and farmers are very active around barterings, it's the live exporters who are really lighting up the trade, according to Adam. Heifer wainlings have also had a strong start to 23, with top-end heifer wainlings in the 300kg to 400kg bracket hitting €3.46 a kg for the first three months of 23, trading up from €2.99 a kg in 22 or €171 ahead on a 380kg wainling. Adam Woods points out, like other farms, production costs have increased on suckler farms, and in many ways the increase is the price of wainlings keeping in track with the increase in beef price over the past 12 months. Joining us on the farm programme, we have Miss Clara Herron, the editor of the Irish Country magazine. First of all, Clara, welcome to the program. Now, Clara, a very interesting competition, a promotion is taking place in your magazine, Irish Country magazine. Absolutely, John, yes, and thank you for having me. So, we've just kicked off the Irish Made Awards 2023. So, it's the seventh year of these awards taking place, and essentially, what they are is all about promoting businesses and makers and craft people who are making their products in Ireland. So we have lots of categories, um, food, drink, fashion, beauty, homewares, textiles. So there's a huge opportunity for businesses big and small to put themselves forward and they would be in with the chance of winning a prize worth €20,000 to seriously boost their business. Speaking to Miss Clara Heron, editor, Irish Country Magazine. Clara, is this open to everyone? The only limit really is the categories there. there. So in terms of your audience, John, certainly anyone that's producing a food product will probably be interested. Absolutely no limits on who enters, how old they are, where they are. It's open to the entire island of Ireland. And we've had winners from every county at this stage, I would say. In fact, our big winner last year was a, a Cork company um, from Ovens in Cork. And that was Ground Wellbeing by Pegging Crowley. She was our overall winner. But yeah, we've had food winners, um, people in the drinks category. A lot of time, people that might have farms, might have a secondary business that might be producing furniture or some sort of craft product. So really, it's all about supporting people that are manufacturing products here in Ireland and really shining the spotlight on them and all they do because by them producing their products here, they are 
creating local jobs. You know, they're using the local post office. They're usually working working with other Irish businesses to produce logos and packaging and that sort of thing. So it's really about supporting those makers and celebrating them. Have you details of the judging panel? We have a big panel actually of judges placed across all the different industries that would be represented in our categories. So um, two, I suppose, to note would be that our headline co-sponsors this year and for the last three years have been the Design and Craft Council Ireland and also Guaranteed Irish. So they have really supported these awards throughout the years. Um, So they will be part of the judging panel as well as, like I say, lots of different industry experts um, from different backgrounds. I suppose this year we actually have two new categories as well, which is opening the awards up to retailers. So we have a local retailer category and also a national retailer. And that would be encouraging shops, people that have like a bricks and mortar physical shops across the country that make an active effort to stock products that are made in Ireland. So we'll also have some retail experts as well involved. So, yeah, any of your listeners who have their own shop, make their own products, or who have family or friends who do that, um, we would encourage them to look up irishcountrymagazine.ie or pick up the new issue of Irish Country Magazine and check out all the details. Um, We have over 100 finalists every year. And it's not just about the winners, you know, the winners do win a wonderful prize, but the finalists get a huge amount of, I suppose, spotlight throughout the various um, issues running alongside the awards. So it's really about us letting our readers know about these incredibly good quality and brilliantly talented makers that we have here in Ireland. We are not talking only about a business setting up right from scratch. We're talking about a business which could be in operation for a year or even a hundred years. You could be very well established, but you're selling a great product, which is a great Irish product, a great product based on food we produce here. You could be a year in business, like you say, John, or genuinely a hundred years in business and anything in between or beyond and um, we had a winner a few years back Foxford Woolen Mill based up in County Mayo and they've they're a heritage brand a family-run business who have been operating a long time but they had innovated in new ways like never before by working with Irish wool so there's plenty of opportunity for heritage names to put themselves forward and shine a light on, you know, new ideas and new innovation that they've brought forward in the last 12 months. But likewise, you could be one, two, three, four, fifty 50 years in business. And I would encourage you to put yourself forward because another lovely thing about the awards is, like you mentioned, we've um, wonderful judges that are real experts in their field. But then there is an element where it also goes to our readers and to the public to have their say and to have a vote. And we then bring all of those results together. And what it does is it kind of spits out, um, you know, 
some winners that are established, maybe more well-known names, but then it always brings out smaller businesses or maybe businesses that haven't been, you know, in the media spotlight as such or have never won an award before. So there's a real mix. And what I will say all the winners have in common is that they are really high quality products. They're really talented and really original too. So, you know, if there's someone listening who thinks, oh, I'm not quite good enough to enter that or my business isn't big enough or I haven't achieved what I wanted to, put yourself forward. You'd be amazed um, at just the difference you know, what you have to offer and, you know, if you're doing something that is supporting local jobs and is making making the effort to make your product here, then you deserve to be there. So please put yourself forward. That's wonderful. Speaking there to Mr. Clara Heron, editor, Irish Country Magazine, what's the best number or what's the best way for people to find out more about the competition we've been talking about? So if they pick up the new issue of Irish Culture Magazine, which is actually standalone on shelves in the shops in the magazine section, they'll find it there. Or if they look up irishcountrymagazine.ie forward slash awards, all of the details they need that are there, along with the entry form and all of the FAQs. That's wonderful. Thank you very much, Nadia. Clara Heron, editor, Irish Country Magazine. Thank you, Clara. And that's Farm Talk for now. I'm John O'Connor. Thanks, as usual, to our contributors, Barry O'Mahony, 96FM and C103 News Editor, Murray Tuig, 96FM and C103 News Reporter, and also News Announcer, creator, too, of the Farm Talk podcast. A big thank you to you, of course, the listener, for tuning in. 7 to 8 a.m. on Saturday mornings, and in the evenings on Wednesday, 10 p.m. to 11. Farm Talk on C103 with Dairy Gold Prime Elite Calf Milk Replacer. Farm Talk on C103 with Dairy Gold. Choose Gold Performance Pack. Includes biotin, yeast and protected minerals to reduce lameness, boost milk solids and fertility.